We've had a little package, a little trilogy, three sermons going around Christmas here. Last Sunday morning it was prophecies about Jesus' incarnation. And then on Friday night, Christmas Eve, it was the setting for Jesus' incarnation. And today we're kind of looking back at it. It's the day after Christmas. He's come. But now we're looking back toward his coming at the meaning of Jesus' incarnation. And here's what I mean by that. So uh, if you read through the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, they are, of course, all about Jesus Christ. They're about his time of sojourn upon the earth. And so you learn about what he did, what he said, how he lived in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. But there are also, there are three great Christological passages in the New Testament. They are in John chapter 1, Colossians chapter 1, and Hebrews chapter 1. Those are the three. Those are the three big, great, sturdy, solid theological passages given to God's people, given to the church. And from their vantage point, we look back at the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, how he lived, what he said, what he did, and we put it all in the context of a theology that explains it. That's what John was doing in John chapter 1. He's given us the theology for that. That's what Paul is doing in Colossians chapter 1, which is the largest Christological passage. He's giving us the theology of that. How do you make sense of that? Who was he? How does he relate to God, etc.? And, and Hebrews does the same thing. Hebrews looks at that and explains it to us theologically. So we're in the largest of those three, Colossians. It's larger by a number of verses, so it is, at least in terms of size, the New Testament's greatest Christological, theological passage. It explains to us what's going on in the person of Jesus that we read about in the Gospels. Let's read. I'll read for you and you follow, please. Colossians 1, verses 15 through 20. Amazing words. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning the firstborn from the dead, this next part is just thunderous. Here's the purpose, that in everything he might be preeminent. That's what's happening with creation, fall, redemption, judgment, heaven, hell. What's all this? What's the big picture? What's the meta narrative? Here it is, that in everything he might be first that he might be preeminent. For, verse 19, in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. And through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth 
or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. So that's the Bible's largest extended teaching passage on Christology. It's it's just packed with weighty statements and truths about the person of Jesus Christ. Let's note some of the assertions that are in here. We can only deal with some of them in the time allotted to us. First, let's notice that Jesus Christ is the image. There's the word. He is the image of God. Here's the verse. It just says, he is the image of the invisible God. Colossians 1.15, start of the verse. Now, that's a very important statement. He is the image of the invisible God. Let's think first about the second half of that statement, the, the invisible God. He's the image of the invisible God. Paul's making a point with, with Christ, you get to see something that you wouldn't see otherwise because God is, God is invisible. Other times in Scripture, we are told that same thing, so it's important that we know it. For example, in 1 Timothy 1.17, Paul says, Now unto the king immortal, eternal, invisible, to the only wise God. So God is invisible. You can't see him. He doesn't reflect any light. There are no physical parts. There's a great old teaching tool, a catechism to be used with children, and one of the answers they give to a question is, God does not have a body. God doesn't have parts. He's a spirit and has not a body like man. So God is invisible, but our text also says Jesus Christ is the image of the invisible God. He uses that term image again in 2 Corinthians 4.4, the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. Christ is the image of God. Now, the word image is the Greek word icon. And that word comes into our language in a number of different ways, but I'll choose one of them. You know about it very well. When you light this thing up and you look at all those little pictures, they are what? Those are icons. We call them apps, but actually it's they are an icon. When you press the icon, your app opens. And and they spend a lot of money figuring out what icon can we create that will depict what's in the app so people will know, oh, okay, there's a picture of a document. That's docs, all right. Um, and half of them don't depict anything to me anyway, and I'm always lost trying to figure out what icon is what. But we're very familiar with icons in our day. They're, they're images, something you can see that represents something you're not seeing or you can't see. It's exactly the word here. So the Bible is telling us Jesus Christ is where you get to see God, who apart from Christ bodily, you can't see. So for example, we read in John 1.18, no one has seen God at any time. But the only begotten Son who is in the bosom of the Father, he has declared him the Son has declared the Father. The word declared is actually the word from which we get our, th- our term exegesis. What is exegesis? It means to draw the meaning out of the text, out of the Bible. We want to exegete the Bible and draw the meaning out. And Jesus exegetes the Father to us. Jesus declares, he exemplifies the Father to us. 
Again, in John 14, Jesus says, verse 7, if you had known me, you would have known my Father also. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. Philip said to him, Lord, show us the Father, and it's enough for us. Just one little request. That'll be enough. Just show us God the Father. And Jesus said to him, have I been with you so long, and you still do not know me, Philip? Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? So without using the word image, Jesus is saying, don't you get it? I'm the image of God. I'm imaging God to you. Hebrews 1, another one of these great Christological passages, picks it up and expresses it this way. He, Jesus, is the radiance, the effulgence, King James, the shining forth. He is the radiance of the glory of God. God has glory. Where do we see it? In Jesus. And he is the exact imprint. Think of a a typing machine. It's the word tupas. The little arm comes up and goes, wham. Boy, that's a blast from the past, isn't it? I have a 1939 Royal sitting right there when I'm at my desk, and I sometimes use it to type somebody a letter. You have to go like this because the things go whack and the keys go down so far. But what's on that key hits the page, and you get the mirror image of that. You get the exact image of that. That's the word used in Hebrews here. He is the exact imprint of the Father's nature. So in Jesus, it's like the little arm went thwack, and there's Jesus. And he's just like the Father. So Jesus Christ is the image of the invisible God. So Paul here in Colossians 1 is working out what was going on there in the Gospels. Like, who was that? How does he relate to the Father? How does he relate to the Holy Spirit? What's his nature? And the theological working out of that thing, of those questions, is Jesus Christ is the image of God. So, remember that this Christmas season, my dear friends. When you think of the baby in the manger, isn't that adorable? a little baby in a manger, harmless, meek, and mild. Yeah, well, that baby is the person of God, the Son, perfectly joined in union with a human nature as well, so that he is the image of the invisible God. In other words, do you want to know God? Would you like to know there's a great being who made you? Like the most important thing you could possibly do in your life is get to know him. Like find out who he is. Like search for him with all your heart. Like open your soul to him and want him in your life. The most important thing that could happen would be that. Well, how can I get to know about God? You have to look at Jesus Christ because he images God to you. He's the image of God. He's the icon of God. So if you want to have any sense of fulfilled purpose, and I'm not a purpose preacher, purpose, 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 but if you want to have a sense of fulfillment for I'm doing what I'm supposed to be doing as a human being on the planet, it's going to be because I'm looking at Jesus Christ because I'm learning about God from looking at the icon, Jesus Christ. That's what you're on the planet for, my friend. 
That's when life becomes life. That's when it gets really good. When you learn about God by looking at his son and learning about his son, the Lord Jesus Christ. So you want the image. Oh, you want the image in your life. You want Jesus Christ in your life. So there's our first point this morning. Jesus Christ is the image of God. Here's a second one. Oh, this is good for your life too. It is this. Jesus Christ is preeminent in the universe. It says in verse 15b, he is the firstborn of all creation. We'll come back and explain that. But it also says a little bit later, hold on, let me get my pages to separate there. It also says down in verse 18b, he is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. So Jesus Christ is preeminent in the universe. Like, all right, here I am in the universe. Sure enough, pinch me. Yep, I'm alive. I'm really here. There's stuff going on in the universe. I want to know what's it all about. There's what it's all about. Jesus Christ is first in this whole thing. He's the preeminent one. He's the one who's over it all. And when our verse says, go back to 115b, please, he is the firstborn of all creation. What does that mean, firstborn? Uh, We need to pause there. Long ago, about 2,000 years ago, there was a heretic, infamous in church history. His name was Arius. Arius was at the Council of Nicaea in 325, and he got this wrong. One of the big arguments at Nicaea was they're trying to hammer out, okay, what, what is Christology? Who was Jesus? Is he God? How does he relate to the nature of God? How does he relate to the Father? How does he relate to the Son? And they were trying to hammer that out and codify it in a doctrinal statement for the church. And Arius was there, and he got it wrong. He read this, Jesus Christ is the firstborn of all creation, and said, aha, see, he was the first thing God created. Well, all the council got out their Bibles and studied and studied and studied and studied and studied, and when it all came to an end, they said, wrong, heretic. So what does it mean he's the firstborn of all creation? Well, you've got to know, the word firstborn, it would be very well known in that time, in that culture. Here's where our culture separates us from their culture, and it makes it harder to exegete the word and bring out the meaning. It would have made perfect sense to them. It doesn't make sense to us. We don't have in our culture what they had. What did they have in their culture? They had this thing called the right of primogeniture. You heard of that? What, what is that? Well, primo, first, and geniture, born. And in other words, here's what it meant. It meant if you were the firstborn, and in that case, in the human case, you were the firstborn son. If you were the firstborn, well, man, it was all coming to you. So you're going to get the family business. You're going to get you know, the run of the whole thing. You're going to move into the big house when your father passes away. You get the big house. Um, You're the one who will call the shots in the business. You're the one who will be responsible for mama and for all the brothers and sisters in the whole family. You'll be like the godfather in in your group. That's what you'll be. You'll be it. But chief among it all is you would get the inheritance, and you you were the primary one. 
So Paul's not going after the Jesus was born first, first created. That's not what he's after. What he's after is, and they all knew this, when he uses this word, prototokos, prototokos, that's the Greek word. It means primogeniture in their, in their culture, in our language. Um, what Paul's getting at is, you know how the firstborn is the preeminent one? That's what Jesus Christ is. He's the preeminent one. He's after the preeminence part. He's after the Christ is over. And again, down in verse um, 18, it makes that clear. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. So what Paul is telling us, what Paul is telling you, oh, may you have a heart to receive it, may you have a heart to hear it and to let it in, is that there is one in the universe who is first, and it's not you. The universe is not about you. Life is not about you. Everything is not about you. You want to make everything about you. That's what Satan did. And that's what he wants humans to do. It's all about me. I will be like God. I will ascend to the most high. I will, the five I wills in Isaiah. But here's news. It's not about you. It's about Jesus Christ. You're not on the right track. You're not on the right path about life if you're not on the path to Jesus Christ is preeminent in my life. He is to be the preeminent one in your life, in your soul, in your loves, and your affections, and you're not even living if he isn't. You're missing out on the whole purpose of the whole thing if he's not like preeminent, if you can't say Christ is first in my life. That's a good place to be. Like, you will appreciate when I say to you, he's ahead of my wife in my order, right? I mean, 46 years, we're doing pretty good. It's working. I think it might last. But he's ahead of her. He's ahead of our kids. So... So that people ask me from time to time, how do you do it? One of your kids, our third-born son, not a believer. His wife's not a believer. They're not believers. They're not Christians. They're getting older. They're not Christians. They're not warming up to the faith. They're, they're not Christians. They're living life, and they're not Christians. How do you handle that? And I'll tell you, it's the honest truth. This is it. I have to love, and I do. I love God and his purposes for them more than I love them. Right? I mean, maybe if you don't get it, that might sound cold to you, but no, 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 it's the truth. Christ is preeminent, and his purposes for whoever are more important to me than what my purposes for whoever might be. So Christ is to be preeminent in your life, and I just want to ask you, is he? Is he like first? Can you say, Jesus Christ, first in my life? There's a great old hymn, all idols underfoot be trod. The Lord is God. The Lord is God. I like that. That's what you need to be able to say. Now you're living. Now you're getting it. Now you're understanding why God created you and what you're on the planet for and why you have time and why you have life. It's so you can know Jesus Christ and he can be preeminent in your life. Don't let anything else intrude. Do not let anything else take first place. Shove it away. Keep Jesus Christ on the throne of your soul. 
So we've seen Jesus Christ is the image of God. Jesus Christ is preeminent in the universe. And we're going to see next that Jesus Christ is also the creator of all things, which points out, incidentally, that he therefore is not created. This is brought out in verses 16 and 17. Let's look at them. For by him all things were created. Paul, I wish you could write more clearly. I'm not sure exactly what you mean there. No, it's very clear. For by him all things were created. So he's not a thing that was created. In heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. Through him and for him. And he is before all things. So he's not a thing that was created. He's before all things. So he's, he's God. He's preexistent. Now notice the text asserts things, four things very clearly. All things are created by him, through him, and for him, and he is before them all. Wow. Let's take the all things were created by him part. Now, to do justice to what other Bible verses teach us, to do justice to the other members of the Trinity, the Bible teaches us that all three members of the Holy Trinity were involved in creation. No surprise, such a great and enormous and magnificent thing as creation, all three members are involved. Like, nobody wants to say, Holy Spirit, you're out of this one. Just take a seat over there. No, they're all involved. So we read in the second verse in the Bible, Genesis 1-2, the earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. So the Spirit of God is involved in creation. The Father and Son are involved in Hebrews 1-2. It speaks of the Father and of the Son, through whom he, the Father, also made the worlds. It's a Father and Son effort there. 1 Corinthians 8, verse 6 says the same, Father and Son in creation. For us, there is only one God, the Father, of whom are all things, and we for him, and one Lord Jesus Christ, through whom are all things, and through whom we live. So all three members of the Trinity were involved in creation, but here the text is asserting that Jesus Christ, God the Son, made all things. All things material and all things immaterial. Where did all this come from? You need to think about that. You need to ask yourself, how did all this get here, and how did I get here, and what's it all about, and is there a great being? You need to really be thinking about that. Those are like the most important questions you can think about. If you're never thinking about them, you're wasting your life, my friend. So you need to think about this. Jesus Christ made all things. Now, we know more about all things than they knew about all things in their day because we've come a long way, really, in knowledge, and we have this thing called physics. And so there are like the invisible nature of things. There's the invisible working of things that we still don't even understand that we're trying. And, and there are these kinds of physicists who say, this is how this works, and they got the math to prove it. And they've got other ones who say, no, this is how this works. They got the math to prove it. But when they put the two together, they don't fit together and they clash. And so far, nobody has been able to present a unified theory of everything. Like, how does it all work? 
What kind of things are we talking about? I have to, I have to read this part, all right? This part is not in my little pea, my little three pounds of gray matter. Don't contain this. So there's mechanics, there's thermodynamics, there's electromagnetism, right? You all know about all these things, right? There's relativity, there's quantum mechanics, another way to divide it up. There's general physics and quantum physics. There's cosmology and general relativity. There's high energy physics. There's particle physics. There's astronomy and astrophysics. There's nuclear physics. Another way of talking about all this is there's string theory, and its only rival is loop quantum gravity, and there's dark matter and dark energy in it all. That's the kind of stuff we're talking about, stuff you read about every day, right? Obviously, I don't. I had to read those things. But they didn't even know about any of that in Paul's day. And now we know there are mysteries to the very fabric of stuff. Like, how do things exist? What's, what's the unseen form under the seen form? What holds it all together? What forces are at work? And we can't figure it out. And what we can't figure out, Jesus Christ conceived and made with a word. Wow, does he ever deserve preeminence. He made the laws of physics, physics, the fundamental way things are made, the building blocks of physics, the parts of matter, and what holds them together. In him all things consist or hold together. And then we could leave the spooky world of elusive physics and just come down to things like what we know about biology, like there's cell theory I'm reading again now, right? Cells are the basic unit of all biological life. There's gene theory. There's homeostasis. I have no clue what that is. There's the laws of thermodynamics. There's DNA. There's RNA. There's all this stuff. There's the way your eyes work. There's the way your ears work. There's the way your sense of smell work. I did read a whole book about that one a year or two ago. It was fascinating. And your brain, yes, yours, is three pounds of the most complex matter we have yet discovered in the universe right inside of there. He made it. We, we, still, we have no idea how it works. We're learning little things. We're just scratching the edges. He made it. He conceived of it. He spoke a word and nothing existed and suddenly something existed and there was a human brain. So to get some perspective on him making all things from the laws of physics all the way down to your brain. Let, let's compare. What do you make? Well, I made some cookies for Christmas. All right. You say, well, maybe somebody here today is a rocket scientist, and you work for Elon Musk, all right? And you make things fly around in space. That's really impressive. Jesus made space. All right? So I think, I think he wins. And the text goes on to say, he made all things and all things are for him. What's this all about? Big question, important question. What's it all for? Why am I here? What am I for? You're here for Jesus Christ. And it's all here for Jesus Christ. And you have time to live on the planet out of his mercy and grace so you can draw near to Jesus Christ. That's what it's all about. The universe is intensely Christ-centered. It is Christocentric, and you need to be Christocentric. Christ is at the center of my soul. That's where you need to be. Christ is everything to me. So, 
what have we seen? We've seen Jesus Christ as the image of God, Jesus Christ as preeminent in the universe, and Jesus Christ as creator of all things. We're going to pray together, and then before, we, before Pastor Stan leads us in communion and announcements, and then we have another song after that, we're going to read from an old, 1689, from an old confession of faith, their section on Christology. Let's pray, and then we'll read that section. Father, thank you for bringing each one into this place today. And we pray, we pray to you, our Father, that you will seize the attention of those who are dull in their hearts to the Lord Jesus. Would you awaken them? Would you quicken them? Would you shake them loose from their, their stupor and their slumber? And may they seek you, the true and living God, in the image, in the icon, in the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. Father, draw them to yourself. Give them hearts to turn. Oh, Lord, I turn to you. I want you to be my God. And I'm calling upon the name of the Lord. And like the thief on the cross, I'm just going to say, Lord Jesus, please remember me when you come in your kingdom. And Father, many of us have turned to the Lord Jesus. Thank you for giving us such a passage as this. We pray that you'll write some of these truths deeply in our hearts. For we ask in Jesus' name, amen.